When my son uh, was born 21 years ago, the Pixar Disney movie Toy Story had just come out. And uh, like most of the kids that were his age, he had to have everything that was Toy Story. And I know some kids today still have Toy Story stuff everywhere. But, I mean, our house was filled being a first child and after waiting to have children. Uh, anything that he wanted Toy Story, we got him. So there was Toy Story stuff everywhere. And uh, his favorite of all the things that he had were two little characters. They were, they were almost like the ones that are in the uh, cartoon. He had a little Woody and a little Buzz doll or action figure, he would call it. He wouldn't want me to call it a doll. It was an action figure. Um, but he had these little characters that he would carry around, Buzz in one hand and Woody in the other. And the only problem with Buzz and Woody is that they talked. And uh, if you pushed on Woody's hand, he would say, reach for the sky. And if you pushed on Buzz's hand, he would say, to infinity and beyond. Well, that was great for a little while. It was kind of cute for a little while. But over time, after listening to Infinity and Beyond over and over and over, probably about the millionth time, I was ready to try to figure out a way to have Buzz Lightyear lose his voice. Now, if you remember the movie, Buzz Lightyear uh, didn't realize he was a toy. He thought he was an actual space ranger. And whenever he would get ready to take off, whenever he would get ready to face trouble, he would always raise his arms and say, to infinity and beyond. And that's a great catchphrase. It's a great phrase that's kind of stuck in my head 20 years later. But the only problem Buzz Lightyear's saying to infinity and beyond is Buzz never went anywhere. It was all show. It was all flash and no reality. And I think in many times that is the reality for us as Christians and for us as churches. We make declarations, we make commitments, we make statements. Even churches, they go through these studies and, and try to figure out how they can be better and how they can do better. And, and they, they make declarations about where they are going and what they are going to do. But the only problem is, is we never get there. It's all flash. It's all substance. Like Buzz Lightyear, we're walking around saying to infinity and beyond. And, and it doesn't mean anything. And if you remember in the story, over time, uh, the first couple of times that he would say it to infinity and beyond, everybody would kind of look and they would jump back. But after a while, they just ignored him because it didn't matter anymore. Nothing was going to happen. And I think that's what's happened in our culture is churches and Christians have made these declarations about where we're going and what God's going to do and how God's going to do it. And we keep declaring, but nothing happens. And the world around us at one time may have paid some attention, but now they just ignore us because they see show and flash and no reality. I remember back in the early 90s, mid-90s, when Rick Warren released his popular bestseller, The Purpose Driven Church, and, and everybody was reading it, and they were passing it around churches, and uh, after that came The Purpose Driven Life, and everybody was reading it. But when The Purpose Driven Church came out, it was revolutionary in churches because churches were struggling trying to find some answers. And what happened right after that is every church that I knew decided they had to have a purpose statement because Rick Warren said that you needed a purpose statement. So they all came out with these great, incredible purpose statements. The only problem was the reality of what was going on in the congregation was not reflected in the purpose statement. They would say, we're, we're here to reach our culture, to reach our community for Christ. We're going to love Jesus and love people. But it wasn't being lived out. And, and the world around us looked at that and said, that's a nice catchphrase, like to infinity and beyond, but it doesn't mean anything. Kind of reminds me of many churches' names. And I don't 
try to get down on churches, but I think it's ironic that uh, a lot of churches that have grace in their names are the most legalistic churches you'll ever encounter. There are churches that I've been in that are called, you know, life churches. But if you go in those churches, there's anything but life in those churches. Matter of fact, if you find a church that's unity, and I'm not trying to step on your toes if you go to a Unity Baptist church somewhere away from here, but most of the time the unity churches that I found were formed from splitting off another church. They get mad at somebody and they say, we're going to go over here and we will become unity. Well, you can't be unified when you split off or destroyed another church. But you see, that's the reality of where we are from. And what happened to Buzz Lightyear, I think, is happening to the church. And what happened to Buzz Lightyear, I think, is happening to you and I when we fail to become what God is calling us to be, when we fail to pursue where God is taking us. In Shakespeare's play Macbeth, the famous line, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day. What Shakespeare was trying to say is that if we're not careful anticipating tomorrow, tomorrow will never get here. The only thing that will arrive is just another today as we continue to live out the same thing over and over again. As I said earlier this morning, I'm going to finish our little mini-series that examines no filter, this, this snapshot in Israel's history, this picture of, of three people that made a huge difference in the history and in the nation and the life of Israel. Because I believe in looking at these three people and what they were going through in this one passage in 1 Samuel 16, we can identify ourselves in the church in one of those three areas. We can identify every person that is a Christian in one of those three areas. We will see ourselves in one of those three areas. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 16 again, the same passage that we looked at last week and the week before. But this week we're going to go on a little further past our key passage this morning. And it's in your order of service if you want to look there. Uh, two weeks ago we looked at Saul. He was the king of Israel when this verse takes place. But the key point that we need to remember was that at this point God had taken his anointing from Saul. He was still the king. He was still in charge. But because of his disobedience, because of his arrogance, God had removed the anointing from him. And the anointing is the blessings and power of God. It's not relational to your relationship to Christ. It's not about uh, the Holy Spirit inside of you, it is a supernatural power that God gives believers when their lives line up with His Word. And it is released in our lives to do His bidding and to do His will. And I used Billy Graham as an example a couple of weeks ago as someone who uh, it has the anointing of God on them. You can take Billy Graham's sermons and you and I could preach them. They're, they're very simple. They're very pointed. They're very to a fact. But we're not going to get the same results that Billy Graham gets. Why? Because we don't have the same anointing on our lives. Saul had lost the anointing, but he continued to be king. He continued to go on. And I suggest to you that Saul represents the past. He represents churches that are living in the past. Churches whose greatest days have come in the past. Christians who are living in the past. So many Christians today, you ask them, what is God doing in your life? And they'll point to a date way back in the past. That's not an active relationship with God. You see, the anointing allows us to have an experience with God on a regular basis that changes our todays. Saul was living in the past. He had lost the anointing. Last week we looked at Samuel, and Samuel was a key figure. He was the one who anointed Saul in the first place. But in our passage, Samuel becomes the bridge between yesterday and tomorrow. 
Samuel becomes the one who was standing in the gap, even though he was friends with Saul, even though he was, he was tied into the past, he was a part of the past. He was willing to overcome all the obstacles that were thrown in his way and say that it is so important that God's movement continue on that I'm willing to stand in the gap. And he stood in the gap. And I suggest to you, we need Samuels today in the church. People who have experienced the past anointing, people who have been a part of the past, but are willing to recognize that God is doing a new thing and that God is moving in new ways and are willing to step up and say, I will protect and pass on the anointing of God to the next generation. Told you last week that I believe one of the problems we have in churches today, why 9,000 churches are closing their doors every month in the United States of America, is because we don't have enough Samuels that are willing to see and understand that God is doing something new and they need to step out of their comfort zone to say, I'll stand in the gap. You can count on me to pass on the anointing, to not settle for yesterday, to look for something fresh. So we've looked at yesterday and we've even looked at today. As we look at David, we are going to look into the future. We are going to catch a glimpse of what God is doing and how God wants to do it. So I want you to follow along, 1 Samuel chapter 16, the verse we've read before. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way, for I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem and have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now you understand, Bethlehem was on the backside of Israel. It was country. It was, it was out of the mainstream. It was out of the norm. It was a small town. It's a small town when, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem. It's a small little town. And so out of the way, saying, I'm sending you out to the country to go find the next king. The Lord said, take a heifer, or Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do for you to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived in Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? They're scared. Samuel is the representative of the king. They have probably never seen somebody uh, with this kind of power, with this kind of uh, anointing on him coming to their town. So they're scared. Samuel replied, yes, I come in peace, for I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself and come to the sacrifice me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, who he thought, Surely the Lord's anointing stands on this one before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, and this is the famous passage from this passage, famous verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called his next son, Abinadab, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse had Shammah pass by. And Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one. And Jesse had seven more sons come before Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord had not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all your sons? And Jesse said, There's still one, the youngest. But he's out tending sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. And we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and he brought him in. And the boy was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And then Samuel left to Ramah. You see, you need to recognize in our passage, Samuel is moving to pass on the anointing of God to the future king. 
David's not going to become king for almost 20 more years, but Samuel was being obedient to step out in faith and go, even risking his life to go someplace he'd never been, to someplace he wasn't even comfortable to do what God was leading him to do. He stepped out of his comfort zone. This morning, I want us just to think about David for just a few minutes, to use David as an example for how God is moving in the future. And and as I say future, I want you to understand the future is now, that when we talk about the future church, when we talk about what God is doing, he is already doing it around our country. He's already doing it around the world. You see, we need to recognize that there is a revival taking place all, all over the world. In third world countries, there is revival taking place. In in Eastern Europe, there is revival taking place. In China, there is revival taking place because God is already taking the anointing of the past and moving into the future. And what you and I have got to ask ourselves this morning is, are we willing to be a part of what God is going to do? Are we willing to be a part of what God is doing now? Are we open for God to do something new? Are we open to allow God to use us? Are you willing to say, God, use me for the sake of my grandkids, for the sake of my grandkids' kids? God, use me so that your power and your anointing may pass on to the next generation. And so what I want to do is I just want us to think for a few minutes about how God is going to move as we move into the future and what that might look like. And I understand when we talk about what that might look like, it scares some of you. Because any time we talk about the future, it is scary. Any time we talk about things that are beyond our comfort zone, it can get scary. Listen, it was scary to Samuel. Samuel said, I don't know if I can do this. I'm risking my life here. I may be killed here. But it can get scary. And so I just want to suggest to you a couple of things about the way God is going to move and how God is already beginning to move. First of all, and probably the most pointed, tomorrow's church and the way God is working in tomorrow's church will probably not look like today's church. It's probably not going to look like what we're used to. It's probably not going to look like what we've always done or how we've always done it. Because you see, we have in our head these preconceived conceptions of what church is supposed to be. We need to get beyond that and understand that church is not about a structure. It's not about a building. It's not about an order of service. It's about a community of faith coming together to see God's power reach outside the walls. We've got to get past this idea of what church looks like. And and please understand... Church today doesn't look like church 20 years ago. And church 20 years ago didn't look like church 100 years ago. I'm always amazed, especially in the mainline Protestant churches, you know, we've gotten, uh, we stepped up. Baptists, we kind of stepped into it in the 60s. We kind of became more high church. Do you understand that Baptists in the 40s and 50s and the 30s, we were were the the poor denomination. We really were. We were the the blue-collar working class. You go back, if you have Baptists, that are your grandparents or your great-grandparents that were Baptists at the turn of the last century and ask them what church is like, it doesn't look anything like what we think church is. You see, we can't limit ourselves to what we think according to our standards. I remember a story about Coach Bear Bryant. You know, Coach Bryant, before he, uh, in between really, coaching at two mediocre SEC schools, he coached at Texas A&M. And... uh, Kentucky was before, that school in Alabama was after. But in between, he coached at Texas A&M. And when he was at Texas A&M, there's a lot of stories to be told about how Coach Bryant coached and, and things that he did. One of the things that he did was he would use current football players, athletes, to go recruit 
the new athletes were usually going back to the towns where they were from, the areas they were from, and those athletes would go and they would find the football players that Coach Bryant was looking for. They would recruit them to come in. It's before NCAA rules. Kind of a little loose then. He was sending out a group of players, and it was led by Gene Stallings, who Gene Stallings played at Texas A&M. He was an end there. He ended up coaching with Coach Bryant later, coached at A&M, coached at Alabama, won a national championship at Alabama. But Stallings was a student, and he went to Coach Bryant. He said, Coach Bryant, we're getting ready to go. Just give me a little hint. What kind of players are you looking for? The story goes that Coach Bryant looked at Gene and said, Well, Gene, you know, the guy that hits another guy and knocks him down. And when that guy gets knocked down, he stays down. He said, yeah, coach. He said, that's not the kind of guy we want. Gene said, okay. Coach Bryant said, well, you know the guy that gets hit by another guy and he falls down, but he gets back up. And then he fall, gets knocked down again and he gets back up. And then he gets knocked down again, but that time he stays down. And, and you could tell Stallings was catching him. He said, yeah, coach, that's not the guy we want. He goes, no, that's not the guy we want either, Gene. And Coach Bryant said, but there is that guy, that guy that gets knocked down and gets back up and gets knocked down and gets back up and gets knocked down and gets back up and gets knocked down and gets back up. And Gene Stallings said, yeah, Coach, that's the guy we want. Coach Bryant said, no, that's not the guy we want. He said, we want the guy that's knocking everybody down. That's the guy we want. You see, what you and I have got to understand is that God doesn't always use the people that we would pick out and he doesn't always do it the way we would have him do it. You see, David did not look like Saul. He didn't look like somebody you would have thought was a king. That's why Samuel went through all of these good-looking brothers, and then they brought in the, the redhead. I mean, he was red-haired. In the Hebrew, what he's describing with his ruddy complexion, he was white. Now, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, how many white, red-headed people did you see? Not many. David didn't look like what they expected, but that's who God was wanting to use. You see, we need to get beyond this idea of external expectations for who God is going to use and what God is going to use in the church. We need to get beyond this idea that it looks a certain way or it acts a certain way or it's dressed a certain way. God looks at the heart and He always has. You see, in the church, if we're ever going to move into the future, we've got to get beyond the emphasis on the outsides. I remember when I came to this church, you might find this hard to believe 10 years ago, but there was a group of people that said they couldn't vote for me for pastor because I had facial hair. Facial hair. They said, pastors don't have facial hair. I said, well, that leaves Jesus and Paul and Peter. They're out. <laughs> you see, we have a tendency to project these cultural appropriations on what we expect somebody to be. We project and, and we judge people according to these outside appearances, these outside things. And we've got to get beyond that if we're ever going to see what God is doing in people's lives. I remember 25 years ago, a parent called me on the phone, frantic. Pastor, and I was a youth pastor, student. Pastor, you've got to come over. We've had a disaster. It's the worst thing in the whole world. And, and our world is falling apart. And we need you. We need you now. And I was doing something. I said, can I wait a minute? No, it can't wait. Can you come over now? And so I got in the car and I went over to see him. And I got in. I was expecting a disaster. What in the world happened? I said, Pastor, come in. And they were both almost in tears. And they were shook up. You know, 18-year-old daughter. They said, you're not going to believe this. this is, it's beyond. We're even embarrassed to tell you. I said, what? She snuck out the other night with some friends and she got a tattoo on her foot. She got a tattoo, Pastor. She's going to be a sailor. <laughs> right? How can God ever use her? And listen, we laugh because some of us have been there. Some of you were in the 70s when the Jesus movement came around and all of a sudden these Christians in church had long hair and they were wearing crazy clothes. 
playing crazy songs, and you're saying, who are these people coming into my church? That was the move that God was moving at that time. And many people rejected it. And I promise you, those churches that rejected those people in that move, they're closed now because they judge according to the external things. And you and I have got to get beyond that and those cultural preferences and understand that God uses people that don't look like us and may not act like us. You see, the church of tomorrow and even the church of today is going to be different. And here's the key. Instead of grieving that it's going to be different, we need to celebrate that it's going to be different. Because when I talk about the church being different, there's a lot of you in this room that say, oh, that breaks my heart. We need to be very careful focusing so much on the way it used to be that we miss the way it is. Samuel could have easily said, this little boy is going to take over for the warrior Saul. This, this little guy that's got a harp with him that's writing poetry, he's going to take over for the warrior king? But he recognized that God was looking at something different. Because you see, the church of the future is not going to be about the outside. It's going to be about the inside. And it's going to be built on things instead of big buildings or, or, or comfortable pews or structure or guys that fit into a cookie-cutter mold because that's what we expect pastors or deacons or Sunday school teachers or Christian leaders to be. It's going to look like what God wants it to be. And what's going to matter is not whether we have facial hair or whether we wear a tie or whether we don't or what kind of church we go to, whether it's a First Baptist Church or or this denomination or that denomination. What's going to matter is do they have passion? Because, see, David had passion. David was willing to do whatever God wanted him to do. He was committed. And David was obedient. When David heard that they were standing outside over who was going to fight Goliath here a couple of weeks, months down the road, David said, count me in. God said the guy's got to die. I'm, I'm going to do it. He was passionate. He was committed. He was obedient. And you see, sometimes we wipe those people away because they don't look like what we want them to look like. I've told you here, we've tried to create an atmosphere here where you can wear whatever you want to church. And I know some of you come from the old school that says you've got to wear your best. Praise the Lord, wear your best if that's how you feel comfortable. If you want to wear a pair of shorts, you wear a pair of shorts. I want you to be comfortable. But you see, the problem is... So many of us spend so much time preparing what we're going to wear on the outside and we spend no time preparing our heart to hear and feel what God wants for us. And we look great, but there's nothing inside. God said he's going to begin to look at the heart. David looked different than what had come before. He looked different than what was expected, but he was exactly what God was looking for. The church of the future is going to look different. The people are going to look different. They may have earrings. They may have tattoos. They may dress different. They may act different. Before we start judging, we need to listen to their heart and listen to God. Not only will it look different, but it's going to include different people. You see, if you were looking to pick a king, David would not have come from the area where kings come from. You see, the church that God is building, and this is important for me, is going to include all kinds of people, all kinds of races, all kinds of economic backgrounds, all kinds of educational backgrounds, all kinds of people. In the past, one of the worst things that we've done in the church in America is segregate ourselves in church. It's been said before that the Sunday morning time in America is the most segregated time. And I'm not just talking about race. I'm talking about all segregation. We segregate ourselves according to the neighborhoods we live in, according to the denominations that we we give our allegiances to. We segregate ourselves according to how much money we make and what kind of cars we drive and how much our education level is. You understand that's not what heaven's going to be like? 
Why did we ever think that somebody has to worship in another place because they speak a different language or they look different than we do or they make more money or less money or, or they're not uh, what we would have an expectation? And one of the things I love about First Baptist Church of Bowling Rock is that in this congregation, a CEO can sit next to an hourly wage worker and an immigrant can sit next to a long-time resident and a tourist or a summer person can sit next to somebody that lives here full-time and you can't tell the difference because of the love and the acceptance and the unity of spirit that we have in this body. We have all kinds of denominations here. People ask me, and say, we got Methodist and Baptist and Bapticostal and, and Presbyterian and Lutherans, and we even got a few Catholics. And I love it. Not because we are watering down what we believe. It's because we are focusing on what drives us together, not what drives us apart. We're going to focus on what we believe. Why? Because as the body of Christ, it doesn't matter what denomination you grew up in. It doesn't matter where you pledged your allegiance or what you had on the sign out front of the church that you grew up or you were baptized or you were confirmed in. What matters is, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Have you given your allegiance to Him? Because if you have, your blood's the same blood that I have, Jesus's. You see, the church that's going to make a difference in the future is going to look different, and it's going to have all kinds of people. And the third thing, and probably the most important thing, is it's going to do things very different than what we're used to. You see, if David did anything, he did things that were crazy and unexpected. Why? Because he was building a new kingdom. See, David didn't do things the way it was expected. David focused on people. David wrote poetry. He didn't fight battles. David was more into music. He was more into passion. That wasn't what they expected. But it was exactly what God wanted and God needed for Israel at that time. And the way we do church in the future is going to be different. That means it's going to be different structures. We're already seeing it change. The way we do Sunday mornings, the way we do Sunday nights, the way we do Wednesdays. Some of you grew up in church 30 years ago. When I got into ministry 30 years ago, we had Sunday night church and we had training union and then we had worship and then we had classes and uh, GAs and RAs and all those things that Baptists do good. And people say, oh, I miss those days. Well, we can do that. Nobody would come. Because God's doing something different and something new. And that's not putting down those things. What's that doing is saying that that was perfect for that time. But now God is changing the way he's working in the church. Because people are changing. And our culture is changing. And I'm not talking about changing the way we do church to fit culture. I'm talking about changing the way we do church to allow culture to come in. And the people that look different and learn different. See, when I grew up, you knew what Sunday school was, didn't you? You said Sunday school. Where are you going on Sunday? I'm going to Sunday school. It's where we went. You go out and tell somebody, where'd you go? I went to Sunday school. School on Sunday? What's that all about? I don't want to go to school on Sunday. Things are changing. I when we changed our worship service to 10 o'clock a couple of months ago, people said, you're committing suicide in a tourist town. You got to have church at 11 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock. It's always been 11 o'clock. It's always at 11 o'clock. God's blessing us because God's doing something different. We do things differently. See, it's going to be different in the future, and you and I have got to be okay with that. And some things are going to work, and some things are not going to work. David established his kingdom based on people, not structures. See, David understood he ruled differently 
It was all about community. It was all about what the people wanted and how to bring the people together, to bring those 12 buried tribes all together as one. And whatever it took, he was willing to do. The community in the future are going to be hands-on. The church wants to be hands-on. But what's happened in Baptists in the past is when it came to missions, most of us thought, well, we'll, we'll pay money and send somebody over there to do missions. Just got to be the structure and the easy way to do it. See, this generation doesn't want to do that. This generation says, I want to go. Even if it's for a week. Even if it's for a month. I, I want to be hands-on. And that's the way David was. I love David. They said, we got it. We're, he was establishing his kingdom in Jerusalem. He said, we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which was representative of God's presence. We're going to bring it into Jerusalem. And David said, we are not going to bring it in. I'm going to bring it in. He didn't send somebody to go get it. He went with it. He marched in front of it. And they brought that thing in, and all of a sudden, David started dancing around. They said, wait a minute, kings don't dance. David said, I do. I'm different. It's going to be hands-on. And you understand that's already happening. There was a Gallup poll that was released in April of this year, just a couple of months ago, and it shocked the church world, especially everybody that thought they knew everything about what was going on in church. Because they polled Christians in America and said, what is the major factor in getting you to go to the church that you go to? Why do you go to the church that you go to? 76% of the people said we go because there are sermons that teach Scripture. 76% said what draws me to church is I want a sermon that is going to come from the Word of God. 75% said we want a sermon that is going to come from the Word of God but is going to apply to my life. It's going to speak to me. 76 and 75%. Man, pastors were dancing around everywhere. Somebody cares. Praise the Lord. The third one that was at 56% was community. We go to build community. So what people are saying now is the reason we go to church is because we're looking for the Word of God, we're looking for the truth of God, we're looking for application, and we're looking for community. And you know why everybody was shocked? Because 36%, the very last thing that was listed, was style of worship. Because, see, we've always been told that people come to church according to style of worship, and we've got to adapt according to whatever style we do. People are saying... We're not interested in style. We want the Spirit. doesn't matter how you do it. We want the Spirit. And I'm not telling you that worship is not going to be important in the future. It is going to be vital because worship was vital to David. He wrote half of the songs that we sing in the book of Psalms. He sang and he played and music and worship was important. That's why he danced around the ark. But worship in the future is not going to be based on style. It's going to be based on spirit. It's going to be based on experiencing God in an intimate and fresh way. You say, what does that look like? I don't know. If you'd asked me 20 years ago, I'd have said, well, maybe it's going to be choruses mixed in with him. I don't know. Because it changes so fast. But what I do know is that worship is going to be important. It's not going to be about performance. It's going to be about experience. David said worship was important to him. He wrote this in Psalms 105. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done. Remember his miracles and the judgment he has pronounced. You see, the church of the future is going to look different. It's going to have different kinds of people from all over and all kinds of background. It's going to be run differently. But worship will be a priority. But it's not going to be singing or playing. It's going to be experiencing the presence of God. People ask, what are we doing here? 
We've had two services since I came. Two distinct, very different services, a contemporary service, what we call contemporary, and a traditional service. And just this year, we decided to combine. And people said, well, what is it going to be? Is it going to be contemporary? Is it going to be traditional? Yes. Well, Rusty, you told us, you know, eight years ago that you'd never get rid of the traditional and you'd never get rid of the contemporary. It's because eight years ago, God was moving in a different way than where God has First Baptist Bowling Rock today. What's it going to look like? It's going to be spirit and truth. Does that mean we'll sing hymns? Yes. Does that mean there'll be solos? Yes. Does that mean a piano will play and drums will play? Yes, yes, yes. I don't know what it'll look like, but here's my goal. Here's what we're shooting for. In worship in the Old Testament, it was a matter of encountering God in the temple. And the way you did that is you worked yourself in to a place of getting to the place of holiness. You came in through the outer courts. You came in through the outer gates. And you prepared your heart and you prepared your mind to get ready to enter into the holy place. And you see, what my goal is, is that when you come into this place from outside and everything else that's going on, that everything we do through our service will help you prepare your heart to enter in to the holy place so that you can have an encounter with a holy God. Because I don't care if you know the songs or you love the songs. I care that you love Jesus Christ and that when you leave these doors, you've had an encounter with him. And so my goal is to create an atmosphere that no matter who you are and no matter what background you have, you can come in this place and do it. So we may sing the same songs over and over again until they're a part of your heart. We may sing the same hymns over and over again until they're a part of your heart because I want you to be able to come in and focus on Him and what He's doing and who He is because that's what worship is. And when people ask you, What's the worship like at First Baptist Blowing Rock? You don't use our cultural preferences. Oh, it's contemporary. It's traditional. I want you to say it's an encounter with Jesus Christ. Spirit and truth. Because worship is going to be what is going to make a difference in our culture in the future. Not worship like what we've defined worship, but worship as God defines worship. The word was important. The worship was important. And God's word was central to all of it. Do you understand that for the future church to make a difference, it has to be built on the word of God. Central to everything that David did was this book. Before he did anything, it was built on his word. And you need to understand that for the church to be relevant and to make a difference, it's not about watering down or compromising what the word of God says. It's about standing on the truth. Because if you study the churches that water down the gospel that are more interested in being culturally accepted, they are dying. The mainline Protestant churches that have decided that they want to be more culturally relevant and biblically sound, they are dying. Because they are no different than the world around them. There's no power, there's no truth, and there's no anointing. David said the word of God is important. In Psalms 19, he said the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are altogether righteous. For they are more precious than gold, and they are sweeter than honey, the honey that comes from the comb. He is saying the word of God is what's going to change as we move into the future. You see, you and I need to ask ourselves, are we willing to be a part of a church that's based on the Word and based on worship and based on experiencing God and Spirit and truth? Because that is the Spirit of the future. David didn't look like they expected. He didn't act like they expected. He didn't even rule like he expected. But he pleased God. And David's kingdom became the greatest kingdom in the history of Israel. 
He did more than any king before and any king after. Why? Passion, obedience, and compassion. He was different, but he was there for such a time as this. And I believe the church of the future and its disciples are going to look different than what we expect. Church is going to be different. And the question for us to ask ourselves is, are we willing to be a part of it? Now, before I close, let me just remind you of something. Because whether you like what I just preached or don't like it depends on your response. Because some of you are going to come out of here and go, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that change. And some of you are going to go out of here and say, yeah, we need to go fast and we need to charge at it. There's a couple of caveats. First of all, while David was all about the future, he didn't forget the past. For 20 years, he could have killed Saul and become king, but he didn't. Because Saul was at one time God's anointing. And so he let God take care of it. You see, you and I need to recognize that people move at different paces, and that's okay. See, some of you are saying, let's, let's do all of this, and let's do all of it. That's not God's timing. I don't want to leave anybody behind. I don't want any of you who are having to move at a slower pace than anybody else to say, well, I give up. I want you to come on into the future, just like I used the illustration of going up to the fire tower. If it means me getting behind you and going, come on, come on, come on, I want to do it. And you and I need to be willing to be patient with people that are coming along slowly. And those of you that are ready to race and you don't think we're going fast enough, you need to maybe look back and try to help somebody that's coming up slower and encourage them and bless them. The second thing is he was patient. David had to wait 20 years. 20 years after he'd been anointed. God's calling you and I to be patient for his timing. He'll do it when he's ready to do it. I believe the future is now. I believe we're already seeing David rise up in the church. But that doesn't mean every church is going to look exactly the same. We've got to be comfortable and move at whatever pace God calls us to. And the third thing and probably the most important thing is David let God fight his battles. See, David had a lot of enemies, both outside the camp and inside the camp. But the enemies that were outside, he went and fought them. The enemies that were inside... He let God take care of them. And here's the truth, and this is reality. Every church that is moving into tomorrow will be attacked by the churches that are living in yesterday. It's just the reality. Because they've lost their anointing. They're not doing, and they're seeing God do something at the other churches. And instead of searching inside and saying, why are we not that church? They, they're too busy pointing fingers. They're weird. You see all the crazy things that they're doing. They're, they're singing that crazy music. They got people there with tattoos and earrings and all kind of crazy. But that, that church is crazy. David didn't care what Saul did. He knew God was going to take care of him. See, Saul was the past. And for 20 years, he tried to kill David. God protected him. You see, as we move into tomorrow, we need to understand God's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of the reputation. He's going to take care of undergirding it. And he's going to prepare as we move. The question for you and I this morning is what role do we play? Where are we? You see, my worry is that churches today are filled with more Saul's than they are Samuel's and David. And every one of us can identify one of those characters but here's the good news, and I'm done. You could have walked in that door this morning of Saul, but because of God's grace, you can leave a Samuel or a David. The end of Toy Story, if you remember what happened, 
They were fighting the next door neighbor and Buzz Lightyear one more time said to infinity and beyond. This time he took off. Wasn't how they expected it. Didn't look like what he expected, but he flew and he saved the day. God's doing something new. He is at work. Will we be a part of it or will we watch it go by? Let's pray.